Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslender. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on January 16, 2022. We get to an incredibly important passage today in our study of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. It's traditionally read at Christmas time, although honestly it occurred about nine months before the birth of Jesus. But I wanted us to study it removed from Christmas, for it's not just a seasonal story. It's really the transitional passage in the entire Bible. It deals, for a, deals with us on the all-important moment that God had prepared from the beginning of time, really before time as we know it. Everything on earth led up to the moment we're going to read about today. And think of that, everything, the, the, the creation, the, the land, the mountains, the canyons, the, the, the growth of plants and trees and species, the good and the evil actions of human beings and nations, everything led to the moment announced by Gabriel to Mary that we're going to read about today. You can look at the Old Testament and follow the uh, nation of Israel. God had called a man, Abraham, who fathered a family which became a clan and then a people group and ultimately a nation. That nation had both prospered and declined, had great victories, horrible defeats, was taken into captivity and then returned to the promised land Great kings were crowned, David and Solomon, and that line of kings almost, but not quite, died out. But God didn't allow it to die out because God had a plan. And then at just the right time, when all the details had worked together, God sent an angel to a woman named Mary to let her know of his plan. Now, you can read it and you'll see that she didn't quite understand the plan at first. No one could. But she did her part as God's plan was revealed to her. And he told her, the angel did, that God would use the womb of a godly woman to come into the world himself. It was a plan hinted at in the Old Testament, but nobody had really understood it until the moment that we read about today. So understand, everything led up to this moment. This is like go time. We've long planned, we've long prepared. God had worked through people and nations and earth and creation. And finally, at this moment, God said, it's time. Gabriel, go tell Mary. And that led to the coming of Jesus, God himself, into the world. So let's read about it. It's an incredible story that God would use a young woman, probably still a teenager, to reveal his plan. And we'll watch as, or listen as Gabriel told her, this is what we're about to do. Let's stand together and read Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month... Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You may be seated. I'm going to use another clip from the movie that I used last week, The Nativity. Part of what I like about this movie is that it shows Mary and Joseph as real people, not otherworldly saints with a halo on their head walking around serenely. Joseph was a builder, a carpenter who had noticed married, who was pledged to her, was ready to be married. Mary was a teenager with all the dreams of marriage and family ahead of her. And then Gabriel came and said, here's my plan. Let's watch it from the movie. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Come, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. How can this be, since I've been with no man? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power from the Most High will overshadow you. And the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Son of God. 
Mary. Even your cousin, Elizabeth, has conceived a son in her old age. For nothing said by God can be impossible. Let it be done to me, according to your word. I know that's just a movie, but it helps communicate the truth there. This was God's revelation to Mary, that the Messiah, who the Jews had looked for for generations, that the Messiah was going to be more than just a man. They had prayed for a man to come who would be a political savior, maybe a military savior, someone who would restore the nation of Israel to great power as in the days of David and Solomon. But Gabriel told Mary, this is not going to be a man. This baby who will be in your womb is the son of God himself. And he's coming to rescue all of mankind. And after Gabriel had spoken, I want you to think about this. After Gabriel had spoken, then the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, all of God's creatures in heaven breathlessly watched as Jesus came down. The Son of God, God himself, came down and entered into Mary's womb to be born in the same way as every other human being. It was the most unusual and sacred moment in the history of mankind. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven to become an embryo, then a fetus, then a baby, then a boy, then a teen, and then a man. Nothing like this had ever happened before. Nothing like this would ever happen again. It was the greatest act of love. God looking down, instead of saying, I'm going to destroy these sinners who have rebelled against me, said, I'm going to go down and be like them, even to the point of being born like them. Now, I told you last week that as we do this study in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to answer two questions. Most weeks, I'll use this outline. What does this story tell us about Jesus and then what does this story tell us about those of us who want to follow Jesus? And there are several things. You, you could talk about this passage, honestly, for months. But I want to share with you five things that this passage tells us about Jesus. Number one is that Jesus fulfills prophecies. As a matter of fact, he fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Luke could have chosen hundreds of Old Testament prophecies to quote or to allude to. He referred indirectly to one of the most important from Isaiah chapter 7, which reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Those words were uttered 750 or so years before Jesus was born. 
And so I'm telling you again what I've told you from the beginning. This was not a chance event. This was not God's plan B or C or D or E. This was God's plan from the very beginning. And all of the prophecies of the Old Testament led up to it. If you read the Old Testament and don't read the New, you're going to end up with this totally, completely unfulfilled viewpoint of the Bible because everything there was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, secondly, this story tells us about Jesus, that he rescues. Just as we saw with Zechariah and Elizabeth, the baby already had been given a name. And this was presumed to be, from the earthly perspective, the son of Joseph, but this was not to be named, he was not to be named Joseph or little Joseph or Joseph Jr. or Joey or little Joe or anything else after his dad. This was not to be Jacob or Jake after his grandpa Gabriel said, you will name him Jesus, which means the Lord rescues or the Lord delivers or the Lord saves. And so even in his name, you see the reason why Jesus came. He came to deliver us from an evil world that we live in and deliver us even from the evil that resides in all of us. He is at his heart a rescuer, a deliverer, deliverer, a savior. Now you have to decide for yourself whether you need rescuing. People in our age have a tendency to ignore reality and say, hey, we're okay, we're all fine, no problems down here, I'm doing just okay. But the truth is, you only have to look around. We live in a world of terrorism, murder, hunger, disasters, tornadoes, viruses, cancer, thieves, liars, drunkards, drug addicts, rapists, abusers, mental health issues, and more. We're not okay. We're not fine. And when we take our eyes off of the world and look at ourselves, I hope you see the truth. You and I need rescuing. We have issues. We have problems. We have sins. And sometimes in church, we have just learned to pretend. I'm okay. How you doing, Jack? Just fine. Fine and dandy. Or as one of my friends used to tell me, it's fine as frog hair, I'm doing okay, don't have an issue in the world, not a problem, everything is going good. Listen, you can look at the world and you should be able to take a look at yourself and say, I am not okay. I have issues, I have problems, I have sins. I want to be okay, but I'm not. And so therefore, I, like every other human being in the world, need to be rescued. I, I, I tell you the story all the time because I think it's funny, but it illustrates the point in, in, in that uh, um, I re remember probably 12, 15 years ago, I, I confessed one sin or another to you. I don't remember what it was. I've sinned more than once or twice since then. But I, I, I confessed one sin or another to the church and, and, and basically apologized. And, and uh, on the way out, one of the deacons came up to me and said, Pastor Jack, you need to stop that. He said, you're supposed to be good. And then as he walked off, he said, we pay you to be good. <laughs> and I'll tell you how ungood I am. Is that a word, ungood? Yeah, it is. I just made it up. It's a word now. 
because my initial thought was, then you don't pay me enough. But that, that, that's another issue altogether. The truth is we can pretend to be good. We're not. You and I need Jesus. We need to be rescued. We need to be delivered. We need to be saved. All of us have purposely of our own will and our own accord. We can't blame it on anybody else. All of us have sinned and we need Jesus. Now, I know the world is saying we don't. We're okay. I'm just telling you the truth. According to the Bible and according to my own experience, and I hope you'll admit it yourself, yes, we need rescuing, and that's why Jesus came. Gabriel, the angel, went on to say, listen, about Jesus, he said, he is great. Gabriel said to Mary, he will be great. This will be no ordinary man. This will be no ordinary king. Mom, your baby is going to exceed all of your expectations. Every mom has incredible expectations about what their child is going to do. Mary, in your case, your child is going to exceed them all. Did you learn a little childhood prayer when you were growing up? Not everybody did, but I did, and maybe some of the rest of you did. It's a, a little mealtime prayer that we often teach children to say, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. Have you ever heard that before? Listen, sometimes we, we don't pay attention to the big truths in little children's prayers, but that is an incredible statement. God is both great and good. Jesus is both great and good. Imagine if he were only one or the other. If he were great but not good, then he would be an absolute terror. With all that power, but not being good, he would be an absolute terror. And if he were good, but not great, he could never deliver on all the promises that he made. He is both. He is great, and he is good. Gabriel went on to say to Mary, and he is God. And he says this in at least three ways. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He said... Number two, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And number three, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In just a very short statement, three times, he let us know. This baby, Jesus, that you're going to give birth to, is God. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of the Most High. He's not to be born of a man. He is born of God. And listen, I want you to understand, that is the key doctrine that sets Christianity apart from all other faiths. That Jesus really is God. Almost every faith teaches that there is a God. Almost every faith has a set of commands or principles to live by. Almost every faith teaches people to be good. What sets apart Christianity is we believe that Jesus really is God. He left the glory of heaven. He came to earth. He lived as a man. He died. He rose again. And he's still alive today. He's not just a man. He is God. And it's in believing that truth that we are rescued or delivered or saved, born again, converted, whatever word you want to use. It's in believing that truth that Jesus is God, not just a man, that we are made right with God. 
So about Jesus, he fulfills prophecies, he rescues, he is great, he is God. And I like this last one, he is a forever king. The Jews wanted their own king, they wanted another king like David. Jesus did take the throne of his ancestor David, but the angel said, unlike David, his kingdom will never end. How long does a typical king reign? 20 years, 40 years, they're saying Queen Elizabeth has been queen for 70 years. And that's about as far as it goes. Because kings and queens come and go. Kingdoms themselves come and go. Nations come and go. But Gabriel said, your son Jesus, son of God Jesus, will reign forever Think about that word forever. Long after you're gone, long after I'm gone, long after the United States of America has ceased to exist like other great nations, long after the earth is destroyed, long after the sun ceases to shine, Jesus will continue to reign because he is, Gabriel said, a forever king and he has given that gift to all of us who believe and so we'll be with jesus forever i can't get my mind about forever because everything i have ever known has an end you know it started and it ended but god's kingdom will never end and jesus will reign forever so those are some of the things, and we could talk about that passage for months, but those are some of the things that that passage teaches us about Jesus. What can we learn about those of us who want to follow Jesus? And there are three things that we see in this passage, at least by way of command or example. And the first thing is this first thing that uh, Gabriel said to Mary, don't fear. Mary had the same reaction to seeing an angel that Zechariah did that we read about last week. She had the same reaction that the shepherds will have when we read about them in a couple of weeks. Matter of fact, she had the same reaction that I would have if I'm in my room at night and suddenly an angel appears before me other than my wife Dawn. I mean, an angel from God appears before me and speaks to me. I would be afraid. I would be terrified. And Gabriel said to her, don't fear. Now, I want us to understand the principle here and not just the immediate, hey, I'm from God. This is okay. You don't need to be afraid. Here's the principle. Though the world is full of scary things, we need not fear if we walk with God. And let's be honest, the world is full of all kinds of scary things, but if we put our faith and trust in Him and we walk with Him, then He will be with us no matter what comes. And if God is with me, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay, so I don't need to fear. It's what David said in the Old Testament in a passage we're very familiar with, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Dark valleys exist. Disease, war, injury, betrayal, 
hurt, pain, the current pandemic. But the truth of the Bible is this. If God is with us, we can trust him. And we need not fear. He will walk with us. And in our darkest moment, he will take us by the hand and be with us. I remember a time, I don't know if my daughter Tina does or not. Um, when you used to go into cave tours and you'd get way down, this was Colossal Cave outside of Tucson, that you used to get to a point where they would stop and they'd tell parents, hey, you may want to grab your children's hands because we're going to turn off the light. And for most people, we've never been in absolute, total, and complete darkness in, in, until then. We thought we'd been dark, but I mean, you can't see a thing. And so I'm holding Tina's hand. You remember, okay? And they turned off the lights. And at first she thought it was cool. And then I could feel her hand. She was about seven years old, maybe. I could feel her hand getting almost to the point where my fingers were crushed <laughs> as the fear level rose in her. So I grabbed her hand a little tighter and held on until they turned the lights back on. Listen, that's what God's saying. Yeah, there, there are scary things out there. But I will hold your hand. I will walk with you. You will never, if you walk with me, you will never have to face fear or death or disease or injury or pain or shame or misery by yourself. I will be with you. So I'm not telling you that there aren't any scary things in the world. I'm telling you there are scary things in this world, but God will be with us. And that's one of the great benefits of, of walking with Jesus, of being a believer. It's not just about getting heaven someday. It's about having Jesus walk with us today. And so we face some tough times in our church, pretty minor compared to some of the horrible things that others in the world have faced, but God has been with us. God will continue to be with us. And so we need not fear about the future. So the first thing we can learn from this is don't fear. The second thing that, that we can learn from this is do ask. Be willing to ask God questions. I love Mary's question here, and I pondered for some time, because you notice both Zechariah and Mary both asked the angel a question. Zechariah asked a question, and he was rebuked and punished for it. Mary asked a question, and she got the intelligent answer. So what was the difference? Listen carefully. Zechariah basically asked, how do I know what you say is true? And the angel rebuked him and punished him. Mary asked a different question. How will this be? How will this happen? I haven't been with a man. How am I going to be pregnant? And the angel answered her. You see the difference? Zechariah's question was based on doubt. Mary's question was asked based on faith. How do I know you're telling me the truth? I don't recommend you ask God that. But God, I don't understand what it is you want to do in my life. How are you going to do this? Hey, that's a perfectly fine question, and you and I ought to learn to ask it some more. 
ask God questions. God, you have called me to be a godly man. I'm not sure how to get there. How are you going to do this in me? What do I need to be looking for? What do I need to do? We ought to ask God those questions, the how question. I believe you, I just want to know how. A question I constantly ask God. Listen, God, you've asked me to lead a church to make disciples of Jesus. But what worked 50 years ago doesn't necessarily work today. How am I supposed to do that? What worked 10 years ago doesn't work today. How am I supposed to do that? In the pandemic, what worked two years ago doesn't work today. How am I supposed to do that? I'm not questioning who you are. I'm asking you how. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do this? And I've had this struggle as a church, and I've been criticized, by the way, on both sides, but God, I want to do both to keep our church safe and to move forward in Christian discipleship. How am I supposed to lead the church? Those are good questions that every man ought to be asking. Listen, God, you've told me that once I put my faith in you, then, then sin no longer has victory over me. How do I get there? Because I'm 63 years old and I still sometimes struggle with sin. Okay, forget the word sometimes. How do I get there? We ought to be willing to ask God and not just sit back and be quiet and sit in the pew. And I love what Mary asked. How's this going to happen, God? I've not been with a man. How am I going to get pregnant? And the angel explained God will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And that's what I'm telling you, Mary. The baby within you will be God, not a man. So don't fear, but do ask God questions. And number three, do trust. There is not a better answer by a disciple than Mary's response to Gabriel. I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. You said this is what's going to happen. I trust you. I believe you. And I look forward to the fulfillment of your words. I will obey. And catch this, because this is the point of obedience. I will obey you because I trust you. Now now listen. Listen. Before you romanticize this story, I want you to remember that obedience for Mary was not easy. Obedience never is. Think of some of the things that Mary would deal with in her life. There would be ridicule, probably starting with her parents, when she went home and said, Hey, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. I got seven daughters. If they gave me that line, I'm going to have a hard time believing that. So she would get ridicule from her friends and her family. There would be the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 80 miles, 100 miles, depending on which way they went. Walking or on a donkey or in a wagon, it doesn't matter. In your ninth month, that kind of thing would have been horrible difficult, challenging, beyond anything that pretty much happens today. There would be that crazy, hectic night 
when shortly after the baby was born, when Joseph said, wake up, Mary, we've got to leave now. We're going to Egypt because this wicked tyrant Herod wants to kill our baby. There would be more children and all the challenges of child rearing. She would have to endure the death of Joseph. There would be that horrible, horrible day in which Mary watched Jesus being beaten and whipped and was at the cross and watched Jesus die. Don't let anybody fool you. I'm not ever going to tell you as a pastor that obeying Jesus and doing what he calls you to do is easy. It's not. But we do it because we trust. I I trust that your way is going to work, so I'm going to do it. I trust that you're going to be with me through the hardships. I'll obey you because I trust I know your way is best and let others make fun of me. Let others put me down. Let others tell me I'm old-fashioned. Let others tell me I'm crazy. I'm going to do it because I trust that your word is true. So what now? Well, you can kind of foresee the two things I'm going to ask you to do. Number one, obey. Because you trust God. Obedience issues, honestly, are usually trust issues. It's when you learn to trust God, then you can obey Him because you know God's way works. And so if you have an obedience issue, it may be that you have a trust issue. You don't trust God. So I'm challenging you to obey God because you trust God. Do you do family God's way because you believe deep down in your heart that God will be with you and that God's way of doing family really works? You do money God's way because you trust that he's going to provide for you. And so you do what God has called you to do with money. Don and I, like every other young couple growing up, had had to learn this when money was incredibly tight. In our case, it's because God kept blessing us with children and their medical bills, and Don's not working, and so money is really tight, and we had to come to that conclusion. Are we going to continue to tithe and give generously to God? Are we going to hang on to that because I got bills to pay? And we had to learn, no, we're going to do it God's way and we're going to trust him and he'll provide. And apparently God has provided for me and I'm doing okay. But you learn that and you obey because you trust God. You you learn to love God's way, even your enemies and love them. For you know that God will use you and bless you. And if you love your enemies, then the gospel of Jesus will go forward in power. You learn to speak the truth. Because you know then that if I tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth and don't hold anything back and don't make any lies or exaggerations and don't pass on anything untrue, if I just speak the truth, God will be honored. And and so learn to obey, not just because it's a law, it's a rule, but because you trust. Okay, God, I do believe that your way is the best way, so I'm going to do it your way no matter what else happens. And then number two, don't be afraid to live for Jesus. I'm going to tell you this ahead of time. If you take a stand for Jesus in today's world, you're going to have hardships, but God will be with you. Trust him. 
Fear not. God will be with you no matter what you do if you're doing it for God. So speak up. Let the world know who you are, what you stand on, what you believe, who you live for, and trust that God will be with you. Here is the sad thing about the church in America right now, and it bothers me to no end. The evangelical church is known more for our stand on politics than our stand on Jesus, and that is absolutely, totally, and completely wrong. So we need to shut up on politics and hold up Jesus and talk about him into the world. Let them think we're crazy, but if you're going to think we're crazy, let them think we're crazy because we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Because that's the eternal issue. That's the eternal issue. And who the last president or the next president is a temporary thing. What really matters is whether you and I will stop standing up for politics and start standing up for Jesus. And I want you to do that without fear. Yes, the world will think some of us are crazy. I'm okay with that. They thought Jesus was crazy. They thought the disciples were crazy. They thought Paul was crazy. They thought that whole first century group that would be willing to stand the fires and be burned at the stakes rather than denounce Jesus were crazy. They couldn't understand. But that first generation of believers changed the history of the world because they stood for Jesus. And now's the time for the American church to set aside the other things we believe in and hold up that which is most true. I believe, will stand for, will live for, will proclaim Jesus Christ until the day he calls me home. And I want you to do that without fear and above all else because of what Gabriel said to Mary. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will reign forever. He is God. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you and may God bless you and your family.